The teaching text today comes from Luke 4, 14 to 21. Jesus returned to Galilee in the power of the Spirit, and news about him spread through the whole countryside. He was teaching in their synagogues, and everyone praised him. He went to Nazareth, where he had been brought up, and on the Sabbath day, he went into the synagogue, as was his custom. He stood up to read, and the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was handed to him. Unrolling it, he found the place where it is written, The Spirit of the Lord is on me, because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Then he rolled up the scroll, gave it back to the attendant, and sat down. The eyes of everyone in the synagogue were fastened on him. He began by saying to them, Today, this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. This is the word of the Lord. Morning, everyone. Happy New Year to you. I was just standing back there thinking, um, do you think that Jesus has changed your life as much as your smartphone? Just to start the year off, uh, an interesting reflection. I, I, I marvel, I moved here in 2005 to Queens originally, and then uh, my heart was corrected and I moved to Brooklyn. Um, but I, ca- I came in, I think it was the last, uh, the last of the models of, of U-Haul trucks. That the, I think I got the last one. The, the steering wheel was this big. Uh, I printed out MapQuest directions. Remember that? Remember MapQuest directions just like stapled together and you're folding over? It's like 95. Um, and and th- there were no smartphones. There were, th- like the iPhone came out after I moved to New York City. It's like this is my 15th year in New York and it's crazy to me to think about how much the world has changed uh, in 15 years. This, this time of year kind of uh, begs that sort of reflection anyway. But uh, I mean, MapQuest directions, there, there were no smartphones. Right? There were like Blackberry was the best we could do. And that wasn't very smart. But as I, as I look back, like, you know, it's that time where your computer and your phone and, and everything, you know, Facebook and everything is giving you these ret- retrospectives, like here's your last year, here's your last decade. And, and how much, it, you know, the phone is now involved in everything that we do. It's, a, it's a, literally a part of, of all my life. And we've mentioned these types of things before, but one of the, the, the things that gets me about it is... Um, how I take in information, how you take in information, and it's not a new reflection. I'm not breaking any ground here with, the, with these thoughts, but um, an interesting sensation begins to occur for me when I scroll through my feeds. Um, maybe this happens to you as well. There's so many disparate pieces of information are taking place all at once, and they're all layered over one another. And so it's hard to sort of like take any one of them on its own. It, it becomes this big, big mass. And so you're, you're, you're reading through, and you're like, oh my gosh, possible war with Iran. And my aunt is on vacation in the Grand Cayman. And she is sunburned. <laughs> and, uh, and the patriots were defeated. God is real. Um, and, oh, the president said something on Twitter. Isn't that interesting? And, oh, someone didn't like Star Wars. And someone loves Star Wars. And here's an inspirational quote about how little you have to exercise if you only eat almonds. Oh, that's amazing. <laughs> and there's a Bible verse on top of a sunset. Like, it's all, it's all there. 
sociologists and, and, and uh, <laughs> economics experts and social media influencers and your Aunt Karen uh, all seem to know that we are in uh, an attention economy, that there is a war going on for your attention. We have to decide what we're going to actually give our focus to if all those things are happening. And that's just like, right, honestly, that's just in the few minutes that I, that I stepped away. Or how many, you, I'm not, you don't have to admit if you look at, at your phone while you're, while you're uh, you know, doing your business. I'm not going to get into that with you. That's not a reflection for the new year. But like in just a few minutes, all that stuff like floods into my mind. How do I, how do I parse those out? How do I begin to make sense of any of that? We have to decide what can we actually give our attention to in a world where information is endless and time is still very limited. We've just begun a new decade, 2020, Barbara Walters, a new year. So the question for us is, again, right, what this, this lends us the opportunity to do is ask, what is our life? I'd like just to give you a small sanctuary in time to ask that question of yourself. What is your life? What are you all about? What are you living for? What is giving shape to your days? What's the thing you can't get out of your mind as you're falling asleep? What is always showing up in the first few thoughts that you have when you wake up and try to pull your head off the pillow? Just to give you total freedom, none of us can hear your thoughts. You can be really honest in your mind. Are you happy? Are you lonely? Are you fulfilled? Are you anxious? If you go back to 2005 or 2010 or last year at this time, is your life what you thought it would be? When you were a kid and you had nothing to do but play, is this what you thought your life would be like? Are there small changes that you want to make this year? Is there some sort of total overhaul that you're craving? I just want to put this on you because this is the stuff that like swirls in my mind at the beginning of every year. I very much, I know people are like, feel very differently about resolutions and stuff, but I'm all, I'm kind of all about an opportunity for a new start. I very much like the opportunity to reflect on something and to think, okay, uh, I, have, I have a personality that like even naively drifts towards optimism uh, about what's, what's possible. So like if you tell me uh, a disastrous situation, I'm going to try to think about like uh, the silver lining of it. And, and that's not always good, I, I, can, I can tell you. But uh, one of the great joys for me over the last few weeks has been 
Uh, we got out of the city for a bit. I got to sit beside a fire and uh, write out categories of my life. And just arbitrarily because, um, you know, I don't know, Jesus' number is seven, so I picked seven. Okay, I picked seven categories of my life. I was like, I want to pick seven categories of my life, and I just want to jot them down, and I want to think about what's changed in those categories. Is there a marker in each of those categories over the last year? Is there something I would like to see happen in each of those categories? This is how, this is how I work. So my seven categories, if you're interested, were spiritual. You don't have to have these. Have your own categories. Relax. I'm not putting this on you. Spiritual, family, my mother got engaged over the holidays. Can you believe it? What are the chances a woman falls in love twice with a man named Jim? I don't know the chances of that. My dad was Jim. This guy's Jimmy. I'm trying to think of a nickname for him. Her, her grandma nickname is Mimi. And I'm trying to think of a nickname for him as well because I think it would be fun for the kids to have, not just to call him Jimmy, you know, like Mimi and Jimmy, but like how about Tango. Tango and Mimi. I'm workshopping this here. You guys can feed back on this. I'm, I'm going to do their wedding, and I'm thinking about springing that nickname on him at the wedding during the ceremony. <laughs> Email me what you think. Um, so my categories, spiritual, family, church, physical, nutrition, health, um, creative, Learning, development, things I want to read, and finances. That's my seven categories. So I'm looking at each of them. And just like my, my, my scroll feed, like as satisfying as it was to hear the crackle of the fire and to write down these categories and to think about how my life had changed in little, in little ways or in big ways in those categories and then to think, okay, what could I dream about being possible by the time 2021 dawns on us? Don't these feel like made up years? If you grew up in the 80s, 2021 feels like a science fiction number. This is not real. Here we are. Even as I, I look through my own list, I'm scrolling through my own list, and I start to feel overwhelmed. It's like war with Iran, Aunt Karen's on vacation, uh, you know, like this new, new, new news about this fad diet, and, and like I want to change in this way spiritually, and in this way creatively, and in this way in the church. It's like, ah! Where do I start? How do I find a fixed point at which to begin? I'm imagining if this is true for my life, it has some level of, of truth for you. How do you want to live this year? I'm just going to say stuff and then pause so you can think about it. How do you want to live this year? What do you want to read? What do you want to write? What do you want to give away this year? How do you want to relate to your parents? What kind of friend do you want to be? Is there a place you want to explore in the world, in your own soul? Is this the year you're going to start speaking to someone about an issue you've wrestled with for years? How do you want to love this year? How do you want to organize your drawer so you can find your shirts? These are all okay questions. I can tell you what, there are so many things. Like it's, it was difficult. I made myself narrow it down in each of those categories because you know if you have like 10 goals, you kind of don't have any. It's just too much, you know? So I was trying to narrow it down into just a couple of things. And, and yet, if I start to let my mind go just about our church family, like I, 
There are so many aspects of this church that I can't believe. We celebrated 10 years last fall. There are so many aspects of the reality of this community, the reality of this outpost of the kingdom of God in Brooklyn in this time that I'm just astounded that I get to be a part of. It is truly one of the great joys and privileges of my life uh, to, to be a part of this community. And yet there are so many parts of our church that I'm not satisfied with. That I think we're too apathetic and we're, we're too inward and we're, 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 too, we're too all these other things. And if I let my mind, sitting by the fire, if I let my mind start wondering, can I imagine our church but 10 years from now? Can I imagine our church but two years from now, five years from now? Can you imagine a church where we had to set up the baptismal every single week? because of how many people were coming to know the love of God, who were trusting the gospel, experiencing new life and salvation, being filled with the Spirit, and we just had to leave it set up. Every single week, we had to, we had to have another baptism because people were coming to faith in Christ. Can you imagine a church like that? How about this? Can you imagine a church where no one felt like they had to do life on their own? No one felt like they didn't belong? Each person was woven into intimate relationship. That, that we were truly, not just in our, in our words, but we're truly following Jesus together, becoming more like Christ. How about this? Can you imagine a church that was as diverse as our city? Right, where people were from all walks of life were encountering the love of God and being made into the spectacular family, rich and poor, from every nation, every color represented, just the way the pictures in Revelation describe. Can you imagine where we weren't just living for ourselves, where if we happened to pack up and leave the neighborhood, the neighbors would grieve? Can you imagine a church where we were such a force of love because we were giving ourselves away? How about this one? Can you imagine a church where our weekly prayer meetings were the most important thing that we do? Where everything we did flowed out of deep, intimate connection to Christ. Can you imagine a church where, where the healing love of God was changing deep-rooted struggles, where, where people were experiencing freedom from addiction? They were, first of all, able to be really honest about their addictions, patterns of thoughts and behavior that had kept, kept them trapped for years, trauma that they had experienced that had led them into coping mechanisms that had then ensnared them as well. Could you imagine people experiencing joy after crippling anxiety or peace after depression? What if the healing love of God was just something we were beginning to taste on a regular basis over and over again? I think about my kids. What about a group of students at the center of our church that were leading us by their passion for a renewed world? They were sort of setting the tone for how, how we as a church were thinking about changing our city. Can you imagine a church where there was an honored place for the elderly? where they were path, passing on their wisdom in the middle of our community. We just mentioned Alpha, this basically hospitality course that we run to introduce people to Jesus. Can you imagine people lined up down the street to get into Alpha? I saw that happen in London. People lined up down the street just to explore the claims of Jesus because something so compelling was going on. What if this was the year that we came into our own space? I love this middle school. 
But what if this was the year that, that we, we, we came into a space in Gowanus and we built it out and it became a 24-7 ministry center and we could keep the doors open all the time and we could meet whenever we wanted to and we didn't have to drop thousands and thousands of dollars every year in rent because, because we're, we're doing ministry out of this place. What if this was the year that that happened? Could you imagine it? What if after helping a handful of churches get started over our first 10 years, we, we doubled or tripled that? We saw churches planted all over New York City and more than that, all over the world. We've given away six figures in a single year to see a church planted in New York. You know how many churches in rural India that will start? What's your dream? I don't know why God set the world up the way he did exactly, but I'm very glad that it was evening and then morning and then a day. And that we do, whatever it means that God is outside of time, we are very much inside of time. And that means we have sunrises and sunsets and weeks that begin and end and months that begin and end and years that begin and end and decades that begin and end. And that means every single one of those is an opportunity for us to reflect on what is my life? What is my dream? If God's mercies are new every morning. If, if we sing things like your mercy reigns, that means the highest, most powerful authority in the world is the grace of God. What does that mean is possible for your life? What is your dream? We live in a world where the reputation of Christianity in our country maybe especially is in a very challenged place. Every couple of weeks, you read another article about how people are leaving organized churches in staggering numbers. What are you guys doing here? People are fed up with the hypocrisy of believers, us as well, the believers. Right? We've been trained to, to view any tr totalizing truth claim for decades. We've been trained to view those with suspicion. But I have a contention that there is still a powerful need for something like good news for the poor, freedom for those who are trapped, recovery of sight and vision for those who can't see, peace for the oppressed, and for people to know that they are loved and have God's favor. I think if we were to try to make a conglomeration of all our dreams, it would spread a long way. There would be many things that we'd have to take into account. But I think we can contend. These are the life resolutions of Jesus. That there would be good news for the poor, recovery of, uh, 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 of sight for the blind, freedom for the prisoners, peace for the oppressed, for people to know that they are loved and have God's favor. He declared this was his life resolution, and then he went out and lived it. Over and over you see the incidents, the, the, the moments, the miracles in Jesus' life and you can trace them back to this declaration of what his ministry was all about. This was his life resolution. I think we need this because you can't escape the fact, I can't escape the fact that we are relational beings. <laughs> you can't leave a human baby alone and it live. <laughs> it's, it's essential to our nature to be enfolded in relationships. We can't escape the fact also that none of us chose to be alive. None of you chose to be alive, right? We, we're happy to grab control once we come onto full line of consciousness, but none of us chose to be alive. The world is being revealed to us. 
We're essentially relational beings. The world is being revealed to us. And the thing that we need more than anything, we keep coming back to it, believer and non-believer, is love. And so if there's a being who really exists, who is love, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, is relationship in this being's very being is love. And that person's has been revealed to us in Jesus and he's saying, this is what I'm all about. Let me give you my life resolutions. And as a matter of fact, they were written centuries ago by another prophet who saw me coming. And this is what it's all about. Good news for the poor. Not just the materially poor, but for everyone who's willing to admit that they need love. For everyone who's willing to admit that they need God. Freedom for those who are literally physically entrapped and for those who are mentally and, and behaviorally entrapped. Vision, recovery of sight for those who are actually blind and recovery of sight for those who have no vision for their life, who sit down next to that fire and say, I don't care, I don't know. Peace for those who are oppressed by violent military regimes and by thoughts that dog their mind right as they open their eyes every morning. For people who think they're alone, to know they're loved, to have God's favor. These are the resolutions of Christ's life. Good news, freedom, healing, the lifting of burdens, immense love. These are the resolutions of Christ's life. Good news, freedom, healing, the lifting of burdens, immense love. This is a thought experiment really quick. If the Jesus who we read about in scriptures walked into this middle school, right, we'd all be shocked to be like, oh, that's what he looks like, amazing. Walks into the middle school, walks down the front, he stands here and he invites us to come one at a time and each of us came and we took however much time it took and we all came one at a time and we interacted with this Jesus. What do you think would happen? What do you think would be experienced by those of us who came forward and stood with him and talked to him and listened to him and received from him? Good news. Healing, freedom, the lifting of burdens, and the sharing of immense love and favor. We celebrated 10 years as a church last fall, and we, we talked about some crucial aspect of our, our vision, our resolutions for the next decade, and we try to put language to it that we're going to return to for a long time, for the rest of our, the life of our church, I hope, and we, we said presence, formation, and love. We're going to hang our vision as a church on these things. We want to be a church where the presence of God is seen and celebrated and expected and longed for and prayed for and enjoyed, that we would be a, a church where whatever else is going on, that people might be able to come in and say, I can experience what God is like to some degree, some foretaste, some inkling, some experience of God's presence in this place, that we would be prioritizing God's presence. That we would be a place of formation where, where God loves us just the way we are. You've heard the old saying, but he, he, refuses to, he, he, he refuses to leave us in that place. And I didn't say the same very well. He loves you so much, he refuses to leave you like you are. So he's bringing you on this formative journey, making us more and more like Christ. And all of it is held together by love. That we love one another, that we take care of one another, that we love our city, that we love our neighbor. Another way of saying this is that we could be with Jesus, become like Jesus, presence, formation, do what Jesus did. 
What did Jesus do? What did Jesus do? Good news. Freedom. Healing. The lifting of burdens. Immense love and favor. So, that's my zippy New Year's message. In the midst of all that is happening in the world, war with Iran and Aunt Karen on vacation and a diet fad and crazy deadlines at your work, I want to invite you back to the beginning because that's what grace means is that you can always come back to the beginning. Please listen to that. That's what grace means. You can always come back to the beginning. You can always come home. No matter how fantastically spectacular, spectacular your failures were last year or this morning, you can always come home. So we're gonna try to come to Jesus this new year together to hear and experience life and life to the full. That's what, if you sum up good news and freedom and healing and the lifting of burdens and immense love, what you start to get at is how Jesus summarizes it. Come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden. Come to me, even though the thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy. I have come to give you life and give it to you to the full. Like the full, most immense, holistic, joyous, creative vision of life possible. That's what I've come to give it to you. Life and life to the full. And it consists of Good news and freedom and healing and the lifting of burdens and immense love. It's the resolutions of Christ lived out. So we're going to look at them for eight weeks. Why not? They're all described in Luke 4. They're also from this ancient promise in Isaiah 61 about the year of the Lord's favor. So we're going to begin this decade with Jesus. Hopefully, as we pray together, we're going to begin this decade becoming more like Jesus. And we are going to make an emphasis, a big link-armed push as a church to do what Jesus did. To not just be a sermon hearing club or a small group gathering church, but to be a church that is scattered out amongst this city, demonstrating the tangible love of Jesus to our neighbors. So, I want to direct your attention just for a second, I promise, longest intro in the history of sermons, to how the story begins. We're just going to look at the first two verses, and we're going to be in this passage for until Lent, so for a while, eight weeks. Verse 14 starts like this. Jesus returns to Galilee in the power of the Spirit, and the news about him spread through the whole countryside. He was teaching in their synagogues, and everyone praised him. He went to Nazareth where he had been, Nazareth, where he had been brought up, and on the Sabbath day, he went into the synagogue. As his custom was, he stood up to read. So just for a second, there is so much that happens in just those couple of verses. And when you're reading this, right, especially if you have one of the red letter Bibles, if you're reading this and you're, you're buzzing through, you probably skip all this. You're like, get right down to where it says, the spirit of the Lord is on me. And, and we miss so many of these details or we fly right over them. But in each of these little phrases, so much is going on. Jesus returned to Galilee in the power of the spirit. Where's he been? Well, he's been out in the wilderness for 40 days fasting and being tempted directly by Satan. I don't know what that does for your theology, but there's a bunch of stuff in there. He's coming back home. 
news about him is beginning to spread. There's this guy that had a tremendous ministry, John the Baptist, and, and people were pouring out of the cities to come and see him in the wilderness, and he dressed funny, and he ate bugs, and he was baptizing people and say, return to Yahweh with all your heart. And Jesus was baptized by him, and then he went into the wilderness, and now he's coming back, and it specifically mentions, Luke keeps mentioning in the power of the Spirit, in the power of the Spirit. Of all the gospel writers, he keeps emphasizing that everything that's going on is happening by the power of the Spirit. The Spirit is directing everything that's happening. Jesus is teaching in the synagogue, so whatever this guy's reputation is beginning to grow, and it said people liked him. He had shorter intros than I did, and everyone was praising him. He went to Nazareth where he had been brought up. It's a bunch of stuff all throughout the scriptures about how hard it is to go home to people who really know you. And on the Sabbath day, he went into the synagogue as his custom was. So whatever's happening, it's happening fully enmeshed in community, fully enmeshed in family, fully enmeshed in tradition, fully enmeshed in a life rhythm. And he stands up to read. And I'm not, we're not even going to get into what he reads. I just want you to see for a second the quick timeline of Jesus the Messiah from birth until this moment called today. And I'm just going to put it on the screen. These are just a couple of movements. We have his birth, which we just celebrated at Christmas. He goes to the temple. The wise men come. He's a refugee. Then 12 years happens. Then he goes back to the temple. Then there's another 18 years. Then he's baptized while his hair's still wet. He's driven by the Spirit into the wilderness. He goes there for 40 days and 40 nights. He's tempted with all the archetypal human temptations. And then he comes into Luke 4 with this announcement. I just want to talk for a second about each of these. So, this is the plan Yahweh of Israel has made promises that he's going to send, send a Messiah that is going to rescue and heal and save Israel, but more than that, is going to rescue and heal and save the world. And that Yahweh, we're coming to find out through Revelation, is not just one static being, but is also a trinity. And so the, the Son, the Father, the Son, the Son comes into our story, is immersed into our history in the Christmas story. The incarnation means the fullness of the Godhead was dwelling in bodily form in a baby, right, that we said couldn't even lift his head. Somehow was going to be the head of the church. Couldn't even wipe his bomb. Is somehow going to cleanse the world of sin, it's a backwards, upside-down, counterintuitive story, but Jesus is born into the world, and that's what we celebrate at Christmas, that God has come to be Emmanuel with us. That, whatever else, let's start the year knowing the heart of God is to be with us, okay? They take Jesus when, when he's eight, years, eight days old to the temple for a circumcision, and he runs into these, these bizarre people, one of them named Simeon, who wasn't in the temple, but it says in the, this phrase again, in the power of the Spirit, told Simeon to go to church that day. And he walks into the temple, and he sees Jesus coming in, and he knows that it's a promise that he's been waiting for. And he says, I can finally die, because the, the Spirit of God told me I would see Messiah before I went, and there he is. Another woman, uh, Anna, who had been tremendously disappointed, it said she had been with her husband for seven years and then he had died and she had lived as a widow in a time where it was remarkably difficult to survive as a widow. She had lived as a widow in the temple worshiping and she had become a prophet. She spoke the word and heart of God to God's people. She sees the baby and begins to worship and praise and recognizes the moment. So Simeon, this elderly man, 
Anna, this woman on the fringe of society with no one left to care for her except God, both of them see this moment, and it's a clue of the, how, God, how God's movement in the world is going to work. Then we have these elite people, these wise men, right, who show up. They are, uh, if you want, the history is fascinating all the way back to Daniel's exile in, in, in Babylon and, 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 and learning to read the signs of what was happening in the world. He had sowed a seed of promise into this group of sages and wise men to say, look for, expect a certain sign. A, 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 a king is going to be born in the world. And these, these wise men, we don't even have time to go into it, but they come to meet Jesus. And they so disrupt Herod's peace that he releases a genocide in the world, in the region. And Jesus and his parents become refugees. And they have to flee to Egypt for their lives. Remember, just for a second, all of this is inside of the plan of God to redeem the world by sending us his son. We skip over the first 30 years and get right to the the, the good stuff. But this is all in there. At some point from 2 to 12, they move back home. They move back to to Nazareth, to Galilee. And then every year they take a huge parade with their family down to Jerusalem to celebrate the high holy days, to worship together. This is part of the rhythm of their family life. And on one of these trips, on one of these uh, worshipful vacations, there must have been a lot of family because they lose Jesus. Right, remember when the angel showed up and said, hey, you're pregnant, but you've never had intercourse, and the baby who's gonna be born is the son of God, like, just don't lose him. (laughs) They go on vacation, they lose him. They go halfway back home with a caravan of their family, and they realize Jesus isn't with them, so they go back, right? You know the story. They find Jesus in the temple, and he's typical 12-year-old lip service. He's like, where'd you think I'd be? At my father's house. That's my impersonation of my son who's not here. They, they, lose, they lose Jesus. You know how much time between the birth narratives and the temple moment? 12 years. 12 years. A long time. How long have you been in this disappointing circumstances that you're, that you're in? How long have you been in your current job? How long have you been in your current marriage? How long have you been in friendship with the people that you're closest to right now? 12 years from birth to the temple. Then there's 18 years, another very long time, from the incident in the temple where Jesus was lost on vacation to the baptism. And at Jesus' baptism, we have the affirmation of the Father. This is my beloved Son in whom I'm well pleased. He's baptized, and guess what? The power of the Spirit descends on him, and Jesus lives the rest of his life filled with the Spirit, which means that the life and ministry that Jesus partakes in and participates in is available to anyone who is filled with the Spirit. It's a big deal. won't say too much about that now, but it's not like we could never do what Jesus did because he's Jesus, his hair was so long, he had the Birkenstocks, he did the miracles. No, we are filled with the same Spirit, that filled Jesus at his baptism. He goes into the wilderness. He faces all the archetypal temptations of of what it is to be a human being. Ambition, appetite, approval, 
status, consumption, security, however you want to describe it, the, the very things that are the deepest needs of the human life that we try to meet out of our own resources without taking God into account, he faces all of those tremendously difficult temptations, not like in the paradise of the garden, but in the harshness of the wilderness. And for everyone, the word of God pours out of his mouth and he, he clings to the promise. He comes back from the wilderness and we have Luke 4. So, he gives his life resolutions. He takes them from Isaiah 61. He reads them out. Good news, freedom, healing, lifting of burdens, immense love, bringing salvation to the world in a relational way. He's literally going to sacrifice his, his own life to make this, to make this possible. In the Gospel of Mark, Jesus shows up and he says, reorient your whole life because the kingdom of God is breaking into the world. The way he says it is repent for the kingdom is at hand. And Luke, he gives us a breakdown of his, of his resolutions of his ministry. He gives us a scope of what he's gonna be about. And that's what we're reading here. And all I want you to see is in the life of Jesus and I bet in the life of you and I, there are moments of staggering promise there are incidences of real life pain, delay, tragedy, confusion, and then there is emerging potential. As real as a brand new day, a brand new year, a brand new decade. Where we're going to begin this year is there are staggering promises made about Jesus. <laughs> His birth testifies of that. When you see him lost on vacation in the temple, they're marveling about it. Anna and Simeon, everything around Jesus' birth is about these staggering promises of what he's going to do. Now, I want you to think about the ways in your life that you've begun to sense the staggering promises of God breaking in. Maybe you don't feel it today, but has there ever been a time where you felt like God loved you? Has there ever been a time where you felt like God had a plan for your life, that God had a purpose for you, that God was, that was directing, was, was loving, was caring, was, was taking you forward? There are staggering promises spoken over your life, but just like Christ, you are going to experience real life pain and delay and tragedy and disappointment and anxiety and difficulty and a boss with a horrific breath and all the rest of it. He has to flee to Egypt. He lives in poverty and obscurity. God's plan to change the world involves a man who comes and for a large portion of his life, for more than we know about publicly, he lived in obscurity and worked in manual labor. Never wrote a book, never did a conference. Staggering promise, danger, poverty, obscurity, delay, but then emerging potential. And it hinges on this, in the power of the Spirit. He makes his resolutions for what his life is gonna be about because they've been written before. And that same Spirit fills those who follow him today. Jesus lived the life of the kingdom so you and I can live the life of the kingdom. A life of good news, of freedom, of healing, of the lifting of burdens and immense love. Now sometimes in the American church we make a little shift. 
Jesus lived the life of the kingdom so you and I can go to heaven when we die. That is a very important shift that I think de-emphasizes something crucially important. Jesus lived the life of the kingdom, died on the cross, and was resurrected so that you and I can be relationally brought into connection to Yahweh, and that relationship isn't going to end, so it will transcend our death, but it's not about checking a box so we can go to heaven when we die. It is so we can participate now in living the life of the kingdom. The life of the kingdom is a life of good news and freedom and healing and lifting of burdens and immense love. It is a life of radical generosity and outpouring. It is the way to joy and happiness and freedom and it goes through danger and delay and obscurity and often poverty. So, if you hear anything at the beginning of this year, know that you can live the life of the kingdom of God. We can do it together. One way we're trying to do it together is to sync up and have at least two practices every season that we're doing as a church. So maybe you, you can't do something forever, but you can do it for eight weeks. Our two practices for Epiphany are, are, out, are, are both outward focus, even though there's one you can do on your own and one that we're gonna do toge together. And we're gonna do all of them together. But anyway, here they are. Drum roll, please. Our two shared practices for Epiphany are intercession. That's a daily spiritual practice. And basically, well, I'm, I'm, we're gonna talk about it a ton. There's a bunch of resources on the website, so I'm not gonna spend a ton of time on it right now. But basically, intercession is adding to the things that you pray, praying for other people and for the world. It, of course you're gonna confess, of course you're gonna worship, of course you're gonna pour out the things you need to God, but it's saying for this eight weeks, I'm gonna be really intentional about praying for other people. I may keep a list of names of people I'm gonna pray for every day. I may keep a couple of situations in front of me on my refrigerator and I'm gonna intercede for them every day of this eight weeks. I'm going to ask that the kingdom of God, the good news and healing and freedom and burden lifting and immense love of God would come crashing in to this person's life and this person's life and this situation. Remember back in Colossians when we talked about Paul working a revolution in a real actual city from his knees in prison? You can change the world by the way you pray. Our, our shared spiritual practices are intercession and then doing justice and mercy. And if you want a, a way to think about this, it is actively serving our neighbors, especially those who God puts in our path who are in need or seeking out those who are in need, that we, can, that we can do justice and express mercy, serve others in love. We're gonna be focusing on this as a church for the next eight weeks. We have a ton of resources, tgcparkslope.com slash epiphany. These practices are described in detail. Service opportunities are listed out there. Our service directory, places that you can connect, things that you can be interceding for. We got eight weeks. Whatever else you're doing this year, let's do this together. Let's follow Jesus together. Let's be about this good news and this healing and this lifting of burdens and this immense love. Why not? I want you to know as you begin this year how much you are loved. How far God has come to say to you personally. Just like he walked into this fluorescently lit middle school and came down to the front and held you as long as it took and said, you are loved the only day you're, you can choose, choose to keep your commitments is today. You don't even have to intercede for eight weeks. You don't have to do justice and mercy for eight weeks. One day at a time. That's how your life is gonna come to you. 
Jesus read this and he said, today this is fulfilled in your hearing. And he still had three years of life left. Today this is fulfilled in your hearing. Will you right now with me commit with all you have at this moment to follow Jesus this year together with this church? Let me pray for you. Heavenly Father, I thank you for the gift of a new year and a new day, a new decade, a new opportunity to experience your mercy. I pray that by the power of your Holy Spirit, we can give up all hope of a better past. We cannot change what has already happened. But today we can run into your arms Today we can commit to follow you. Today we can take small steps. We can receive your love. We can be embraced. And I pray, Holy Spirit, you would help us. All across this room, you would help us to respond to your voice, to respond to the Spirit, the same Spirit that is moving all through this story. The first 30 years of your life, the Spirit is, is there over and over again. Help us to practice following you together. Lead us in how to respond. In Christ's name, amen. I love you all. Happy, happy new year. Let's stand. We're gonna worship. We're gonna come to the communion table together for the first time this year. If you're new with us, just so you know, every week we hear the word of God and then we're trying as best we can to be a people of response. And that means a couple of things. We, we respond first by coming and receiving this meal. It's for everyone who is, in, who is united to Christ by faith. If that's not you, that's totally fine. You can use this as an opportunity to pray, to worship where you are. But for those who are united to Christ, we come and we receive this meal of communion. It is to mingle our hearts and souls with Christ's. It is to be nourished by his love. It is to remember that all of us have to rely on his, his death and resurrection as our salvation. So the first thing we do is we commune through this meal. We also pray. We have rugs up here because they're uncomfortable seats after a while. And you can come and you can kneel. You can lay down. You can pray. You can pray anywhere you want, obviously. But we have these rugs up here. We have people up here that would love to pray with you. And then we worship. Those are the three ways we respond. Communion, prayer, and worship. And as the Spirit leads, you have this time. You might as well interact and say, God, how are you leading me this morning? What response are you guiding me in? Maybe it's just to be nourished by this meal and receive. Maybe some of you need to make commitments. Maybe some of you need to talk with someone and pray. Some of you just need to praise God and begin your year in worship. As we prepare our hearts, hear these familiar words. For I received from the Lord what I also passed on to you. The Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread. When he had given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. So we come to commune with Jesus, to pray with and for one another, to respond as the Spirit leads us. 
Church, as you're ready, come and receive the meal and let's, let's respond as the Spirit leads. Amen.